Our guest today is Cole Hutton. Coach Hutton is the head girls basketball coach at Amundsen in the Chicago Public League. We get into the inner workings of the Chicago Public League, building a program from the ground up, and his unique marketing perspective of growing the girls game and marketing yourself as a coach. As always, thanks for listening to the After the Timeout podcast. So, Coach, we start every uh, episode with what we call the opening tip. Uh, we just wanted to give you an opportunity to tell us about your Amundsen program, uh, how your season went, um, maybe a little bit about, you know, if we came watch you play, what your guy's identity is, and then looking forward, where your program's going. Yeah, so um, our program at Amundsen, I just wrapped year three. Um, so year one was 2019-2020 for us. Um, we're a CPS school up on Damon and Foster, uh, 3A, um, and uh, we just uh, wrapped what I would, I would say probably the, the most successful season in program history, um, 20 and 13, won our conference, which now puts us in the Red Northwest, which you guys are familiar with how the CPL works and, and that merit-based and, and, and um, moving on up. So We've, we've checked that box to where we want to get to. When I got there, we were all the way down in the green, which was the lowest. So each year we've climbed our way up and, and gotten to where we want to get to. Um, and then we were a regional finalist too as, uh, this season and, and lost in the regional final. So um, overall, really successful. Um, I think one of the best parts about it is, is we only graduate two seniors. And so um, with four juniors coming back and, and five sophomores coming back and, and so on and so forth and, and a couple of players coming up. So the future is really bright for us um, and, and we're right where we want to be. Um, in terms of our identity and, 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 and what, you know, if somebody was to come watch us play, um, in t- on the intangible side of things, you know, really two things I want to stress this and be known for is a team that competes in every possession and in, in, in every game. And I know a lot of coaches say that, right. Um, but we really mean it. And, and no matter if we're, um, up 20 down 20, we're always want to be that program that's looking for those competitive moments and be one that, that a team walks away with and says that they really competed every possession. And, um, you know, second thing being one that, and I put this word in there when I talk about it with our identity is, is, um, playing hard with purpose, right? And making sure that um, that other team that we're going against knows that we played really hard and they felt it, right? And um, those are the two identity things in the intangible side. In terms of the uh, X's and O's and getting on the court, um, we want a team that plays with a lot of pace and a lot of tempo. Um, one that probably lives and dies by the three a little too much, but given the lack of size that we have, it's, it's, we like to play that game. Um, and then we want to be hyper aggressive on defense and try to create ourselves some, some easy turnovers. Um, and that's our identity. We hope we stick to it. We hope people see that. Um, you know, I know John and I have played each other the last couple of seasons and, and uh, he does a pretty good job of making sure that we don't get to live and die by the three. So um, but you know, it's one of the, the things that stands out the most, uh, in terms of our goals going forward for the program, um, with going into year four is for me personally, and, and in the message we're getting out is, is we can now focus 
on those standard things that I think the elite programs focus on, right? That's, that's getting to 20 wins. Um, that's putting yourself into the regional final and ultimately winning it. Um, that's for us from a conference perspective, um, maintaining where we're at, right? We're in the red. We don't want to fall out of that. And so those where um, compete in the conference, obviously we'd love to compete for a conference championship. That certainly comes in the question, but um, I think the two first ones become our goal. The second thing as it pertains to the program is, is we can now start creating um, that real continuity from our varsity to our sophomore, to our freshmen. And, and I think that's the unique part of being a CPL school and, and maybe starting at the bottom is, is you're so varsity driven those first two years that you're just, you're kind of putting a lower level together to put it together. Um, this was really the first year where I'm like, okay, we've got a really robust um, freshman and sophomore group um, can put them in challenging tournaments, uh, can, can get them a, a robust non-conference. They can come with us to go play in our non-conference games and I can feel comfortable about it. So, you know, that goal going forward um, as we look at the big picture program wide is to start creating that continuity and start creating to where um, players are developing at the lower levels the right way, not necessarily getting thrown into the fire, pulled out the varsity, we can be that way, so. So I wanted to follow up on something you said about uh, the, the competing aspect of it, yeah. right? Because um, like you said, I think a lot of coaches say that, and I, I kind of go by the wooden quote of success is doing the best, you know, best you can with what you have, you know, kind of paraphrasing it, but that is the same thing, right? C competing right. to the best you can. Um, for your program, I guess, a as a coach, what are you looking for to, to indicate that? And then on the flip side, how do you show your players what that looks like, sounds like, right? Even, even feels like, cause I think that's yeah. an important part. Cause a lot of players think, yeah, I'm competing, but right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. It's a great question. So the first part of it, Todd is, you know, how do we, how do we show that to our players? And it, the easiest thing, especially with this year is, is you show it in the practice environment, right. And, and you show it by the minutes that you earn when, when the lights go on and, and we get to, put our jerseys on and go play a team in a, in a different color with a different name. Right. And that's one of the areas we focus on it as is given that we, uh, we, we, we've been able to build, bring talent in, right. Practice can now truly be split right down the middle, red team, white team, first and seconds, if you will, or pe people that are jockeying for those spots in terms of the depth chart can get after it. And so we show that and we, we, we chart scores. It's the standard things you try to get done in the practice environment is what we try to do with the show it there to the player side. But I think the real easy way that we show it there is on the game minutes, right? Like, and we can attest back to what happened in practice. Um, you know, that's, that's where it starts there for me. For, to that second part, it, you know, an example that, that I, I think stands out to me a lot is, and it's usually when we're down, but it's a real teachable moment, is when you know you're, you're fighting uphill and, and clearly you're, you've lost, right? And you're hovering right around that 20 point avenue. And you're going into the fourth quarter and we all know there's that number of 30, right? As soon as it hit 30, that clock's moving. And one of the, we've had a couple of times this season where we're competing 
not necessarily because we know what the outcome is going to be. We already, you can, you know, in the back of your mind, but you're competing for those extra minutes, right. To where the clock's starting and stopping and you're giving your, you're competing for that opportunity to play in, in the game as it's supposed to, you're not up against a running clock where that fourth quarter goes like that. Right. So, I mean, that's one of the examples that, that, that stands out to mind. Um, for me in terms of how do you get that taught or how we use it in, in terms of a game component to get that, to really teach those competitive moments. So just for our listeners, uh, you know, Todd and I kind of know what the, the difference in, is in the colors, but so for yep. the red, who are some of those teams in the red uh, just for our, our listeners to kind of understand where you're going to from where you were from? Yeah. Um, so where we're going to, we're going to, uh, for our side exclusively, but also I'll talk just as the red in totality. Um, Whitney Young, Kenwood, Simeon, uh, Lane Tech, uh, Peyton, Taft, uh, Northside. That's Morgan Park as we dip to the other side of things. Hyde Park, um, I know, was a regional finalist who was last year. So that is the Westinghouse. I don't want to leave them out. Um, that is the Lincoln Park is in there too. So that's the world that we are uh, headed to um, in terms of, of what our conference schedule will look like. And, and it's one that um, is, is good. It's, 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 it's going to be beneficial for us. So going now into your career a little bit, we, we kind of yeah. do our homework on everybody as Todd and I like to say, and you know, you've coached Ju Juco and high school and AAU. You know, what yep. are some of the commonalities, either similarities or challenges that you find in each one? Yeah, you know, the, the easiest similarity is, and it's, it's a similarity and a difference, but the similarity is, is, is bringing collective group of people and getting them to work together, right? And, and, and understanding each player getting getting to know understand each player what their skill set is both you know on the court but then who they are as an individual and then how does that fit as a team collectively that's the similarity now the difference with it too being the same time is the amount of time you have at each of those stops if you will so if i was to touch on my time in the junior college world um you know there's really two approaches in juco ball right you can be that hey we're bringing in got players for two years same team for two years, system, et cetera, move them on. And with a couple of transfers here and there, you can be that program that's starting fresh from scratch every single year. That was the program that I was a part of. Um, and one where it was a brand new roster year in and year out. So you were really trying to meld and mesh personalities together in a short amount of time a year, um, oftentimes not. And that was really draw some similarities in the AAU side of things too, right? Like the goal for an AAU program is to have continuity, but you're slowly spending such a short amount of time on the AAU side, two nights, a, a couple of days of practice a week, and then you're playing on the weekend. So it's like, how do you mold that together and, and get them playing? Whereas in the high school side, and as you guys can attest to, you've got more time, right? Like you're hopefully you're working with four years for players and, um, and building uh, that together. So those two are the, you know, the biggest challenges for each for me, but it's also the difference between them two. And um, I think, you know, my, my background in each of them has helped us 
or helped me be successful with where we're at today um, with knowing the amount of investment that you need to put into your players in a short amount of time quickly up front and get them bought in. And then you can start, you know, building that culture and building that program up. All right. So let's, let's build on that. Um, we talked about just going into your, into your third year here and, yeah. and um, you know, and you, you built to where you are now, right. That, that red and, and when you first started, you weren't there. So when you first started, what are the two or three things you did to lay the foundation to start building to where you wanted to go? Yeah. Um, the first thing that I did was educate and show and talk and use examples of what a successful high school basketball program looked like and what that entailed. And so it was in, in that education piece was on the administration side. It was on the parent side and it was on the player side and, and um, they knew they wanted to be better. They wanted to be um, at the level of the schools that I had mentioned earlier who are in our conference, but they didn't know the how, and I don't think they even understood. So we started with that education piece. That was one of the first things you did, right? Hey, there's, you got the opportunity to play 31 games, et cetera. You, you get to that number as close as you can. It's a, it's a six, um, day a week commitment in terms of in season you get that off day this is we practicing every day this is what robust looks like here's what the off season looks like etc that was number one was was showing what this is and and using examples then the second thing became the players and it was for lack of a better term a culture cleanse like i knew okay we have this really hungry and engaging and eager and with some talent freshman class there's a few sophomores that um with one that i knew really wanted more um and two that i thought maybe or one other that we could get there and that's where it started and i said hey we're taking the 10 to, to 12 best girls regardless of what their what what their age is and you're going on varsity and we're going to be varsity driven and we're going to find a way and we started there yeah i identified two players or actually the two seniors that um are graduating this year as those that i knew could withstand the change those that couldn't they were going to make their decisions organically for themselves we all know that that happens when change comes in um, and they did that. Um, and then I focused on the, those freshmen that were playing for us. And I knew that they were all eventually going to be our culture shares this year, next year, et cetera. And that's where we went. And that's where we laid the foundation. Um, and we, we certainly took our lumps. We, we accomplished our goal of winning our conference, which gets us to moved up. And, and we, it's almost trial by fire, if that makes sense, right? Just threw them into the deep end right away. And hey, this is going to be tough. There's going to be a ton of growing pains and um, there's going to be a lot of outside noise. But if this is where we want to get to, this is what we have to do. So it was starting young, it was educating, and then it was just doing. And when we wrap that year one, I, I think, I don't know if the foundation was solidified, but I felt like we had those, I'm not a, I'm not a construction guy, but we had the wooden planks in the right spots and everything was good to go. 
So we wanted to kind of turn it now to your experience as a freshman coach. And we all know, uh, Todd and I have been there, you know, the, the days of being a freshman coach where basically when you're the freshman coach, it's, hey, these are the kids left from that tried out. They're on your team and kind of putting that together. And, you know, sometimes those kids are invested. Sometimes they're just there to be there. Um, yep. Just take us through your experience as a freshman coach and some things you learned from that specific level. Yeah, you know, the biggest thing that I learned that it's not about you and it's not about um, your, it's certainly about your goals because I think any good head coach should want that for his assistants or her assistants, but um, you're there to develop. It's the program first um, and you're there to take the, the, the group of, of, of kids that you have and um, do your job the right way in terms of hopefully, not all of them, but you, you get a couple to the other side that in two, three years down the line, they can be um, varsity contributors. Um, I remember this conversation really vividly when I was at Freeport High School and my, the varsity coach was Jeff Lawford. And Coach Lawford was really, really good to me. And one of the first, and, and understanding that I was also coaching junior college basketball still at the same time, right? So um, because my junior college job was, was not highly paid at all. So, um, I started coaching with the freshman program at Freeport. And one of the first things, you know, he was very blunt from the onset, like, Hey, we're going to move the best players up. Like, this is the group you want to get, but I want to start creating some continuity down there. So I might leave some talented players down there, et cetera. The only thing I ever asked was, is I said, Hey, I get it. I know it's not about me. This is, you know, what do you need from me? I go, just please don't shake my roster up every other week and start pulling kids up and down. Like, can we keep this consistent? And, and that was one of the things that um, we were able to do. But in terms of those lessons, John, like that, like I said, it's not about you. It's, it's, you gotta, I want to say you're setting your ego aside a little bit, but it, you know, you may be running some stuff that you don't buy into that you really don't believe in um, or that, you know, may not, not fit what you like but hey it's about the program first and you gotta winning's important but I think that development part is more important and it, it's you almost got to swallow it a little bit and just you know keep that big picture um at the forefront of your mind all right so let's dive into your marketing background let's just talk about the the game of girls basketball women's basketball in general yep. um how can the game from even the pro side all the way down uh, continue to grow and, and market itself better uh, from a from a business side, from a people watching side? Yeah, you know, one of the one of the biggest things that I think lacks is stories, right? And, and um telling a compelling story and start and let's start with, let's start with the WNBA, right? Like I, I think you, you see, and we'll just use a local example, like a, a Candace Parker, right? And, and locally, if we've grown up in the state of Illinois, you, you know what a little bit of that background is, right? And, and where her journey is at, but is it relevant on a, on a national, right? Like, and so tying those stories together, like, I think one of the things that that's unique like well just use it because it just wrapped right like the olympics right when when you 
you hear about uh, what we're using the winter Olympics, whether it's uh, uh, let's use the men's curling team, right? Like nobody knew these guys, but they told a great story, right? And, they, and that came to compelling to people and people became more engaged. So to tie that together, using that, that kind of Olympic example is I think we've got to tell better stories, right? And, and, and cause they all have them and, and, and some may be different than others, but, but getting those stories out there and because the platforms are there to do it now especially um i think that's the number one thing and then that's going to trickle down right i think they can do the same um when we get to the women's tournament i love the women's tournament i i, I think it's 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 um it's exciting and and again it's that we can turn on the men's tournament and we know that we turn on the men's tournament for women's college, uh, for the men's college basketball you know that once you get the elite sweet 16, there's going to be a cool story about whatever Cinderella team, right. Or whatever player that you didn't hear about. Right. Let's do that on the women's side and tell those stories and get that connected. And then that, that gets people engaged. And then all of a sudden in today's area, you know, we're Googling or you're following that person on social media and, and now it's, it's going. So um, for me, as I just always talk about that story piece, right? Like creating those stories, creating those brands, those individuals, telling those stories, because it's going to resonate somewhere with somebody. Um, and, and, and that's where that investment begins and, and starts for people. I, I do think that's a great point, because if you think about shows like College Game Day for football or basketball, it's, it's all it is. just all telling personal stories. Yep. Um, so let's now talk about ourselves as, as marketing ourselves as a coach. I, I did love your, your comment. You just made a couple of minutes ago about coaching under level basketball, and it's not about you, but you know, when you are trying to take that next step from an assistant to being a head coach or you're a head coach somewhere and you're looking for a, a larger school or, or whatever it may be, you know, how do you market yourself? as a, as a coach, what would maybe be some advice you have for somebody that's been an assistant for a while and now wants to make that jump one chair over? Yeah. So I, there's a lot of, a lot of ways to do it. Right. I think one of the easy things is, is we've got this thing called social media now. Right. And, and so it's, it's, um, you know, whether it's your, you're using it to market your program with where you're at or what you're currently doing. I, I think that that's one way. Um, to do it. I probably don't do enough of it in terms of the X's and O's aspect. I could probably be a little bit better at it, but, um, you know, marketing yourself in that regard, right. And, and, and kind of showing who you are, your brand, what you're doing, um, and where you're at, that's the easiest one. Um, for me, it's, it's, I rely on the networking side, right. And, and getting out and, and meeting um, people in the game that have been, you know, that, that you know um, have a strong profile and, and not necessarily to get something out of them, but just to make sure that they know who you are and, and cultivate on that relationship. I think that's one of the things I've tried to consistently do, um, especially as I've, I've worked exclusively in the women's game for the last four or five years is, is just, um, in one of the easiest ways to do it was on the scheduling component, right? Reaching out and, and making and getting those matched up and then just cultivating those relationships. Um, I, you know, one of the other things too is, is, is I've got it sitting over my shoulder. It's not a cheap plug, but get involved in your coaches associations. I think that's huge. Um, 
especially for the young ones just getting out of college and, 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 and wanting to get into teaching or coaching, et cetera, get involved because there's that opportunity window there, whether it's your um, state association, whether it's, uh, you know, on a national level, get that involvement there. And then, you know, people organically in this coaching circle, they ask what your background is. It's just one of the common questions that always gets asked. Hey, where'd you come? Et cetera. And that's where it goes from there. So, um, I, you know, that's, that's, I've tried to go more so the, the old school way of marketing myself and, and just connecting with people in an individual aspect, getting involved in, in, in the associations as much as possible. And, and then, you know, letting my work speak for itself, letting my personality and who I am speak for itself. And, and, um, you know, the work that you're doing in the program that you're involved in speak for itself too. So you talked about getting involved in the national level. Uh, let's go into USA basketball a little bit. Um, you know, your, your, your gold license, but first of all, uh, USA basketball does a lot of great stuff, but tell us what that means for anybody who's, who's not kind of up to date on that. And then um, one, how is USA basketball helping to, to continue to grow the game and the development in the United States? And what are maybe some things we can do differently to, to work on that development piece. Yeah. So in terms of the, the, the gold license aspect of it really is, is um, you get recognized as, is, is, is that coach that's kind of gone through their, um, uh, their process, if you will. Right. And, and you get access to that content and, and you get put on, put on the USA basketball database. Um, that's what that provides you. Um, and, and, and brings you a part of that network and that community. Um, if you will, uh, in terms of what USA basketball has, has done for me personally, and just, I think for the game is it's given some structure to some really fundamental things that, and you put a brand behind it, right? That's important, right? USA basketball is behind it. So when you hear that, and we all know, um, since the dream team, what's the rich tradition of, of USA basketball is barring that little setback, um, there in the, in the early two thousands, but like, so you have that brand there. Right. And so, but to get to my point, like really fundamental, basic things that, that, that we all knew as coaches and that we all learned such as what's the right, uh, ball size for a player to use. What's the right height of the rim they should be shooting at um certain rules that that we know are important in terms of development like man-to-man and 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 um what the right things to teach and in, in, in those aspects that i think has been the biggest help because now if you're talking to a parent or uh anybody else at a younger level, you can sit there and point to these things, right? And, and, and now there's a little bit of, of some credibility behind it. Um, the second thing, or another thing that I think that's, it's, that's been good about it is it's, it's heightened something that I think we've probably all done when we played in, in, in growing the game, but value in playing three on three and, and playing in smaller non five on five settings right like i think that's been the biggest thing usa basketball has done and um i know we we play three on three as much as possible in our girls practices off season in season it's huge and i think it's it that has done 
wonders um, for, for, for the game. Um, you know, and then that's, I think, showed a lot of value to players and, and, and to, to the development piece um, of it. So, so those are a couple of things that I've, I've taken out of it and, and gotten the value um, from USA Basketball. All right, so now let's turn to the, the real fun kind of conversation. Let's talk some CPL basketball. Let's talk what it's like <laughs> to coach in the CPL. And even we can even add, if we want, some, some COVID elements to the last uh, year and a half, two years in CPL. So just, you know, for our listeners that, you know, we do have listeners from different states, you know, what are some things about the Chicago Public League you could talk about? And then for you personally, what are some of the great rewards of coaching in the CPL? And then let's talk about some of the more fun challenges. Yeah, they'll probably demote me in conference if this gets out to, to, to everybody. Every day, every, I'm telling you, every conference game in the CPL is, is different. You don't know what, what, what you're going to get. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, 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 one that that's it's it's unique it, it kind of it they it's challenging to get to that point i'll just start on the back end of the second part of your question john is is because the district is so big right it, it it's just not it, it creates different challenge like everybody's challenges aren't the same right and everybody's situations aren't the same and that becomes difficult right and, and that one size kind of fits all approaches is is hard um especially when you know you're you're looking at schools that are really close to you that don't have to adhere to those the, those same things and so that's one of the the the, the challenges for me and, and and also how I think sometimes they try to separate themselves from the IHSA a little bit, like, Hey, we're, we're this, there's that disconnect. And, and so that's the biggest um, challenge for me, especially coming up from a kid that, that didn't grow up in the city and that um, is got tied to the game in the most organic possible way of what high school basketball should be and, and, and how the IHSA lays it out. Like, and then I come into the city and it's like, whoa, like, okay, this is, this is different. Um, so those are those challenges, but the rewards of it are one is, is there is a respect level for the, for the brand of, of CPL basketball, you know, you have good, good players. And so when, especially now that the being in that, that, that upper conference, one of the rewards for the program is when we travel to different parts of the state with our program, um, it's, it's like the, the appreciation and that we're grateful that we came down to play them. It is like unbelievable. And I know it may not seem like a very rewarding, but it is for me. Cause it's like, they're really appreciative that we've gotten outside the city bubble and come to play downstate, right. Or gone really far in the North burbs to play. And so I think that to me, that's been rewarding for our school and the program, but it's also been rewarding for our girls who grow up in city and, you know, we went down to Rock Island this year for our Thanksgiving tournament, and you would have thought I took them to middle and nowhere Kansas, right? Like some of these girls had never seen a cornfield before in their life. Some of them didn't even realize where Rock Island even was, had no clue. And so 
for me, that's the rewarding aspect of it too. Like we just actually um, took our girls downstate yesterday for the, the championship games. Um, and again, another experience, they're like, oh, wow, this is so unique. This is so cool. Like, this is what that is. So I guess the reward to, to sum it all together is, is a lot of firsts, right? And, and if you're, you know, how I like to do things, you're, you're giving them exposure to things that they would never otherwise see or have no clue that they even existed. Um, so, you know, those that, that's the unique um, aspect of it. It's a rewarding aspect. Um, you know, but there's certainly some challenges that, that, that um, I make you scratch your head and, and, and wonder why this is different when, you know, two days ago I, I played a non-conference opponent and I got a full 15 minutes to warm up and somebody knocked on my door at halftime and told me that we had 10 minutes and et cetera. So um, every day is a mystery. I'll just say that much. All right. So let's dive a little bit into X's and O's here. All yeah. right. Uh, you talked about your, your, your roster construction when you first started taking your, your best players and putting them up there. Um, what was that process like for you on deciding? Because you know, there's a couple of different ways to go with it, right? You can, okay, this fits for my players and this is what I'm going to do. It might not be something that I normally would do or, hey, I got, I got these concepts in this system and we're going to tweak, tweak it to that. So how, how did you decide on that? And then, you know, is it like a you know talent and match it to the skills or you match that to the X's and O's kind of thing? You know, what, what is your philosophy on that? Yeah. So I could tell you this in year one, um, there was, there was, there was, there was a couple, it, it was a little bit of both. It was, all right, I got to find our best players that are coming up and here they go, whether they're freshmen or sophomores. But then the second thing was how vested are they? right? Like, do they want what is going to become, excuse me, brand new? And can they handle that? Right? So I would say it was probably in year one, 70% the investment aspect, who's ready for this, who's ready to commit to the, 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 the rigors of high school basketball and, and doing it at a varsity level and probably 30% talent. Now, Fast forward to these last two years with getting good players in because we've uh, been able to raise the profile of the school athletically and the girls basketball side. Um, I start with talent and ability and can they play, right? And is there, um, is there a good foundation um, of, of basketball skill? Um, are they, you know, can they, can they play the game? Boom, they're coming up. And so now... I think as we move forward to where we're quote unquote growing old, as I'd like to say, as we built this thing, it can be a little bit of that 50, 50, right? It can be to the need of what we um, want from a X's and O's standpoint. What holes do we need to fill philosophically? Like what do we have and what can we do? And it can also be filling up that talent altogether um, as well. And, and a little bit more of that, traditional process, right? Like I'll give you an example of a, of a girl we have up on the varsity roster. We don't have a ton of size. Okay. But this girl is five ten and likely has another two inches in her. Okay. She was greener than green her freshman year. Um, and which was, would have been the COVID season. And I literally knew that she was going to benefit the most from being in our varsity environment day in and day out. Was she definitely a lower level player? 
you're darn right she was, right? But we need size and, and we need it sooner than later. And so this girl's got to come up. And um, I know that's one example that we've previously used, but I think as we continue on, it can get more to that, um, you know, hey, here's how we want to play. Here's what we want to do. These are the types of players that we have. We're going to go do it. Yeah, I, I think that's a really interesting way to look at it too. You know, I want to just follow up. You know, have you ever tried to, you know, maybe you thought in the off season, I'm going to do this X and O's wise and you get partway through the season and you're like, nope, that's out. And kind of what did you learn from that experience? Yeah, so um, I, we, 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 we did, we, we have gotten, gotten to that a little bit. I, I would say, um this season a little bit we, we went to that in terms of okay hey um we're we're gonna be hyper aggressive in 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 in, in, in that full court man-to-man aspect and then realized okay well we're playing a different brand of competition now maybe we should get a little bit more zone oriented and, and can control some tempo so i think there's some of those things where conceptually it looks really good in summer and you have a level of success with it. And then you, you get, and it looks good in practice, right? Cause everything looks good in those first two weeks of practice. It, I mean, it's fantastic, right? Like I've watched a bunch of film. I'm feeling good. This is going to go well. And then you get to like three or four games underneath of you. And you're like, Nope, that that's not working. Um, I, I, that happened this year too. I'll use the example of sides from kind of hyper aggressive man, that zone aspect. I, I made the decision. I thought we could play with four, five guards. And I thought we could, we, and I made that decision a week before we started. I thought this is going to look really good. I think this is going to really match us up well. And when we were staring at 0 and 4 in the face, 0 and 5, and I looked and I'm like, yep, we just have to play with the true five. It's just better for us. And, and some things just don't pan out. So um, I think you got to learn that no matter how good something looks in practice, and in your brain and, and on film, um, you got to be prepared that, that you're going to have to maybe bail on it and, and get back to either A, what you believe in, or, or, or B, um, you know, what you've maybe been flirting with, just uh, some changing wise. So it's, it's just being that open to making those adjustments consistently. And that's typical coach talk right there, right? If you're not willing to make adjustments consistently, then I, you know, I don't know how long you're going to last in this thing. You'd, you'd be surprised in the over a year Todd and I have been doing this, what typical coach talk starts to sound like. <laughs> um, so we want to go into our last two segments. The first one we call 30 second timeout. Okay. Uh, it, it's your chance to talk about anything you want to discuss. It can be about you, your program, your family's uh, hobby you're into outside of basketball, uh, really anything that the floor is yours. And as we like to say, there's no referee coming in your timeout. So it's a very loose 30 seconds. Well, it's good. Uh, just because I just got back from it this morning. What's your guys' take on the new format from state finals and having all four classes and switching from two weekends to one weekend and, and stretching it out over three days. I don't know if you guys watched it all or whatever. I just would be yep. curious what you, what, I, I feel like we're struggling as a state to get this thing right. And I, it, like, I was reading Twitter before we got on and that's just like, you had some people that were like, Oh, I thought this was great. You got other people that like, move it. 
I'd love to hear from you guys. Look at that. It's the first guest that's ever turned it back on us. I know, right? Putting us on the spot. Go uh, ahead. I, I don't know. I thought, I, I think I kind of like everybody there. I think it adds a new perspective. I don't know if the format necessarily worked this year, but I think it's like anything you have to tweak it. You know, I know uh, the one game started at like 945 or something crazy like that or ended at 1030, you know, with those third place games played on the same day. Yep. Um, you know, but I think, I think it's kind of cool to, to get a different perspective for some of those four A's and one A's and see, and see different teams. I think yeah. like anything, the first time you do it, you probably have to kind of tweak it and, you know, like you said, there hasn't been a great solution. You know, there's kind of, you know, problems here and advantages in, in other places, wherever, kind of whatever we did. Yeah. You know, I, I, the only thing I will add is I was actually uh, working out the other day and I was listening to another podcast and they were actually talking about college football and they were talking about how some venues are just so big. Sometimes college football teams will play in a, a, an NFL stadium or just somewhere that's so big that even if they bring 50,000 fans and it's a 70,000 seat arena on TV, you still see 20,000 empty seats. And, you know, I, I almost wonder too, sometimes like, you know, yes, we want it to be in these big arenas and, and we want it to, to be this big massive event, but is there something better about a, a cozy venue? Is there something better about a smaller gym where, you know, maybe it is better that if we have to, you know, turn away 50 to hundred people because it's a smaller venue, it, it may look aesthetically better on television because, you know, I, I think in watching Carmel and Naz last night, uh, you know, the Carmel student section was really loud and the Naz student section was really loud, but you know, it, it's just such a big venue that when you show it on TV, th there's going to be open seats everywhere. So I, I do wonder if there's an element of maybe we are shoot to, to make a bad cliche, shooting our shot too big there. Um, and then my other, you know, thing that I, I would really like to study is what percentage of the state in the finals comes from various parts of the state. For example, the majority of 1A schools are going to come from south of Joliet. Maybe right. that state final should be more localized. Whereas, <laughs> let's be honest, if you look at the, the 4A state final, if you take out Edwardsville, if you take out, uh, you know, maybe some bigger schools in Peoria, I don't know how often a 4A state final isn't Stevenson Barrington, isn't Whitney Young Simeon, isn't you know, so I, I think there does have to be some regionalized and I get what the state was trying to do in putting them all in the same weekend and trying to get people there. And I, I do think it's a great idea. And, and I know the IBCA, you know, wants to promote, you know, everybody in that same location. I just don't know if that's realistic. If you really look at who's playing where and when. Yeah, no, I mean, I look, I think I, those are great points. And, 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 and I, I, I agree with a lot of that, right? Like, I think it makes sense to have every, I like the idea of getting everybody together. Right. I think that that looks really good um, because I can, I can tell you this much, right? right? Like from watching yesterday from one a to four a, right. Especially, you know, speaking exclusively to, to the women's side of things, you got girls in the one a, especially the guards from Galena, they know you, they can play three and four, eight ball mm -hmm. hands down, right. Yeah. Without a problem. And really 
the only difference, like for me watching that was, is it's just the size component, right? Like you're not going to get a Jordan Wood in Galena, Illinois or Brimfield, Illinois. And you may, but like, that was the biggest difference. Whereas if we look at the boys side, you know that you just watched a 1A game and you know there's a starking difference to a 4A game. I mean, that's just kind of the difference in the game. So I thought it was good for the women's game, especially to have all four classes there and for everybody to see that, hey, just because you're in a town of 1,000 people, there's, there's girls that can hoop, right? And there's girls that can play. Um, but I'm with you. Like, it, it, that regionalized aspect, I think the biggest thing is the, the size of the arena, right? Like, why are we not if, – if Bloomington's a spot for girls, okay, was Illinois Wesleyan not available, right? Um, we know there's some high schools that are really big and that have really – uh, um, great facilities. So I, I, I think that's one of the biggest thing is, is are we, uh, are we trying to go for something that's just not there? Right. And, and look, that's great. The state of Ohio can, can, can fill up that, that uh, the shot center where, where Ohio state plays. And that's great. They can fill up Breslin up in Michigan. I just don't think that that's where, how the state's made up in Illinois anymore. So we probably need to condense it down, but um, I, you know, I, I would just be curious, just having gotten back from that way, your guys' take was, and so I liked it. Yeah, and I mean, I would add uh, to agree with you. I mean, Todd and I both, we both played teams from all around the state of all sizes. I mean, I could tell you just off of Todd and my schedule, we both played 1A Hope. Uh, yep. You know, I know Todd, Todd's in the same conference as Carmel and Naz and Bennett, um, you know, and yeah. And obviously, us, I, right? come, I, you know, <laughs> I come from the conference of Loyola, Montini, St. Ignatius, you know, Providence. So, you know, there, there's great basketball all around the state. And I, and I don't think that's the issue. I just think it's, you know, I, I just think it's, a, it's an issue because you brought up Ohio and I'm just thinking about the state of Ohio. Think of how much longer the state of Illinois is and think of how much the the time difference to drive from Antioch, Illinois to Carbondale, Illinois, it, it's six hours. So right. I, I think that does that does play a, an element in it as well. But we, we could go this conversation all day. So. I know that's why I asked it, right? I went over my 30 seconds. I probably just yeah, got to No, that was great. So thank you. Yeah. All right. So let's move into our uh, next segment. Quick hitters. Could be yep. basketball, could be I don't know anything. We've been known to ask some goofy questions here in the past. I think yours is, is somewhat not, not too goofy, but uh, we won't throw anything too crazy at you. But uh, shot clock or no shot clock? Shot clock. There we go. Have I to. I saw that one coming. Did, did I, look, Naz and, and Carmel was a really fun game, but come on. If you were watching that, could you not tell me sometimes would somebody get a shot up for the love of God? Like, I know it was tough but i was sitting there going let's get this thing moving a little bit i watched uh oswego east bolingbrook sectional final uh they didn't score a basket in the two overtimes like because they both went the zone held the ball now probably reasons for it you know matchup things i didn't see i didn't see early in the game but you know that's kind of the how the game ended a double overtime game to go to the super sectional so Um, all right. So let's go with this doesn't have to be basketball related. It doesn't even have to be sports related, but you know, with your marketing background, we thought we'd ask this fun one. 
the best logo of all time that people you think remember or really sticks out? Oh, I mean, it's, it's, it's hard not for it to be related to, to basketball. It's, it's, it's the Jumpman logo. Like yeah. that thing will live on forever. And, and you could probably put the, the swoosh like in a close second right with it. Um, but yeah, that, that hands down because here's why. And it's partly because of, you know, MJ and being able to do it. That thing's going to end up on fishing boats. That thing's going to end up on NASCARs. That thing's going to end up on places that, and, and, and just grow. So without a doubt, I mean, that's, I, that's going to be a tough one to beat. I don't care what industry we're talking about. That, that one will live on forever. All right. Similar, similar question. Your favorite commercial of all time. Yeah. So keeping it, I'm going to switch sports. It's not one specific commercial, but it's a group of them is I think that the, the Tiger Woods commercials that Nike has done are some of the best commercials I've ever seen. Whether, and, and listen, I know we're talking about a controversial person, but from the one that they put together after he came back from the whole scandal thing was fantastic. Um, going back to the, the initial one before he played in the greater Milwaukee open before like kind of branding commercials were a really an it thing to the masters one. I think they've hit every tiger woods commercial they've ever done. The serious ones, like, I, I don't care the fact that it's golf. The fact that I get every one of them makes the hair on my back of my neck stand up without a doubt. Right. The MJ one about where they're taking the pictures and, you know, he's failed over and over again. That's why I said that one's great, but I just think any of the Tiger Woods ones, I can't even name a favorite one. They've all been home runs in my opinion. It's funny because I was thinking the, the be like Mike ad, or there's a lot of really good Gatorade ones as well. Yeah. They kind of go yeah. along with that exact same theme. Yes. All right. So now we thought you'd have a really good answer to this to entertain us all a little bit. So what's the craziest or most, most interesting game you've ever coached? in got a good story so i i i do and it's it has more so to do with what took place um after the game that that it does with it but but it was it was it was interesting and all the, the same time so this was when i was an actually an assistant coach at the junior college level and we were out at the national tournament in hutchinson kansas and if and nobody probably knows where Hutchinson, Kansas is at, but it's in the middle of nowhere. And we were just not playing well in the opening round game. And it was, it, it, it was, it was, so we're coming down late down the stretch. And the scoreboard said one thing in terms of the number of timeouts. Okay. The officials, I remember this like it was clear today, commuted one thing to us after the last huddle for in terms of timeouts. And the book had an entirely different thing in terms of what the timeouts were. Okay. So with my job, all right, at, uh, I think I was 27 at the time, was to keep track of the timeouts. Okay. I had what was up on the scoreboard, which I presumed was right. And so we go to call timeout and that was what was supposed to be what I thought was our last timeout. 
And anyway, speeding the story up, we thought we were out, okay? The book and the official, okay, had us with two timeouts remaining. So we came down late and never burned a timeout because I thought we were out of timeouts. And so this whole fiasco went off and it's junior college basketball, right? So, I mean, like there's all sorts of stories going on. But anyway, I think one of the unique things about it was is, is I had to, like head coach was just livid, like through, I mean, just absolutely irate. I literally had to walk him all the way up the stairs to go do local radio so he wouldn't turn around and go after the officials because he was looking for anybody and everybody to get out of there. The interesting story about that is He's yelling at me the entire time. Like I'm the one that just cost us the game or I'm the one that screwed up the whole timeout situation. So um, it probably maybe not one of the crazier things, but the interesting thing was it never does happen to this day. It was told one thing. I had another, the book had one thing and the scoreboard said a different thing. Never as in my life has even happened ever again. And that includes in any CPL game too, by the way. It's always now, did you, did you actually burn all those timeouts? You had no, because we thought we were out. No, but I'm saying like, if you went back and looked at the film, was, yes, your, count, we were was your count right? We were yeah, we have yeah. no timeouts left. We have no clue how the book still had us for two timeouts left. We have <laughs> no idea how the officials still had us for timeouts left. Because when he said it, I didn't think much about it. I'm like this guy doesn't know. I, and yeah, then yeah. it's not that it just, okay. We took a timeout. Check. Right. right? Take check. a timeout. Check. So, this uh, day, we're out of timeouts. I still have no clue what happened. That's crazy. It's always, it's always hard to count to five for some people. Apparently, I, I, I don't know. All right, so what what's your your go to uh, gear and games? Are you your fancy guy? You're a you're a oh, casual oh guy. Listen, this is a loaded guy. question because I know who put this one in here. Yeah, right now. Um, I, I I I do I do dress up for for games. I I haven't gone into the the casual aspect of it. Um, so I I I I do am I I'm in a suit coat typically sometimes now i i have gone to a new format which is dressed down a little bit still have trousers on still have dress shirts still have dress shoes um but i've teamed it i've termed it competitive casual so i guess oh, i've added that to that I like it. so um no i get dressed up um yeah it's kind one of, of best, my fun one thing. of the best dressed around phenomenal white suit or red suit coat phenomenal yeah. Well, he's got the red right. suit coat. I like that. See, he I can go with that. Like, no. I gotta get some color in there. So, yeah, yeah I, I have this. Uh, this is probably dorky, but I have this philosophy. Um, so, I remember the story. My my mentor, my head coach, a guy named Pete Norman, when I was coaching at junior college, um, we were sitting on the bench for a game, and, and he made this comment to me once that he's like looking over, and he goes, "You know, I learned this." long time ago from one of the guys I worked under that if three of your starters are better than three of their starters, you'll win 70% of your games. And a lot of that. So that didn't end there. So I thought, well, wait a minute, where, do, where does the other 30% come into play? Right? Like, what, what are we talking about? So over the course of time, and I navigate through my coaching career, I'm like, you know what, if I outdress the opposing head coach, I might win 30% of my games. <laughs> and so that's where the, I've added that into. So now there's just the 10% you have to leave up for chance, right? Because I like to think about things in 110%. So um, I've carried that with me, right? If somebody asks like, well, three of your starters are better than three of our starters, you'll win 70% of your games. However, 
if you make an effort to outdrove the opposing head coach, you could win 30% of your games. So that's where that kind of stems from. I like it. He, he is one of the best dressed. Well, coach, we, we appreciate you joining us today. There's some great content about marketing yourself and talking about CPL and, um, you know, different levels of basketball. And then, you know, obviously a uh, great discussion on the, the state playoffs. So thank you again for joining us. We appreciate it. Thank you guys. I really appreciate it. This is, uh, I am a, uh, a, a frequent listener. So this is good that you guys are doing it. This was a lot of fun. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to another episode of the After the Timeout podcast hosted by Todd Zazadil and John Plicky. For more show content and upcoming episodes, follow us on Twitter at After the Timeout or subscribe to our podcast for upcoming episodes. For show inquiries, you can email us at afterthetimeout at gmail.com. You can find all of our previous episodes on Anchor, Spotify, Breaker, Radio Public, Pocket Casts, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts by searching after the timeout. We appreciate you listening. Tune in next time for more coaching content in-game, out of the game, and anything in between.